0: You're listening to a special podcast produced by UMFM 101.5 in partnership with the Winnipeg Folk Festival. Running Thursday, July 6th through Sunday, July 9th at picturesque Birds Park. Winnipeg Folk Festival is a celebration of people and music that has been one of North America's premier outdoor music festivals for over 40 years. I'm Michael Elves, host of Thank God It's Free Wrench, and this episode spotlights Charlie Crockett. Crockett is a prolific country singer songwriter who has released 11 records in the past 10 years and logged countless miles touring the world. His most recent album is The Man from Waco Redux. Charlie Crockett will be performing at 9pm on Saturday July 8th on the main stage For the full lineup of complete list of set times to purchase tickets and for more information on the Winnipeg Folk Festival, visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca All right, well, he's got several albums to his name. The most recent, The Man from Waco, bringing his talents to Birds Hill Park to play the Winnipeg Folk Festival. Charlie Crockett joins me on the line. Welcome to the show, Charlie.
1: Michael, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: My pleasure. And we are looking forward to having you here uh, in Winnipeg for the Folk Fest. I got to ask, you know, with so many records to your, to your name and, you know, so much uh, songwriting under your belt, how do you build a set for something like this? Uh-
1: well, that's mighty peculiar. You asked me that question because it's something that we, uh, something that we deal with every day, you know. And uh, I guess that's why, you know, back in the day, you know, Ike, and Tina Turner, Buck Owens, all them kind of folks, uh, Willie Nelson, as well. You know, you learn to chain songs together, do medleys, mm. and uh, kind of like working on street corners. It's always, you know, that's where I started out. But uh, very little's changed uh, in my life across the board, and like. Set list, song list is a good example. You know, the way that it works when you're standing there in the French quarter playing for tourists in New Orleans, it's real simple, Michael. You throw out the songs that don't work. Yeah. And so and so when you gotta ever build a set list of albums and all that kind of stuff, you know, a lot of times what you gotta do is just pay attention to the songs that people know or the ones that you're putting out on the new records that are doing well. Uh that mix up a little bit with doing whatever the hell we want to do.
0: So in in terms of like knowing which ones work or don't work like obviously when you release a record like is it is it looking at kind of metrics of like what's getting played on on like streams or is it specifically like what when you're playing on stage just doesn't seem to hold people's audience, audience's attention
1: yeah to me it's always been more about just you know feeling out the crowd and you can notice that over the course of one particular show you know and then going on a feeling knowing what you should play next versus maybe what you got written down on the set list. That's most of it. And then of course there is the other side of it of being maybe a little more aware of, you know, what's doing well out there, you know, what, what people are buying or, or hearing or whatever, you know, but I try not to pay too much attention to, uh, to the numbers, that can really mess you up.
0: No doubt. Now, you mentioned you know playing on street corners in, in New Orleans. I, I'm wondering if you can kind of talk a little bit about like how you first got into performing and, and playing music. And were you writing songs before you started performing songs?
1: Man, uh, I guess I was writing songs uh, right from the beginning. I just They weren't any good, you know? Uh, Merle Haggard said something along those lines, that he wrote 300 bad songs before he came up with one that he thought was worth holding on to. And uh, that's kind of what I did. And uh, you know, people ask me, have asked me a lot, you know, if I knew I wanted to be a performer or write songs and, and play in front of audiences, and 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 the, and the answer is the truth really is, is I backed into it. You know, I I really feel that hard luck and circumstances just kind of uh, the way that things went in my life, I ended up playing on street corners. I found myself playing in public just so that I could get away from. You know, closed quarters and the very small places that we were living when I was a kid, you know, having the A.C. out in the summertime and stuff like that. My mama working three jobs. I ended up playing in public just looking for a place to be able to do my thing. And the first time I ever got paid to do that was when somebody mistook me for a working musician and threw change. Or whatever they thought I was doing, they threw change in my case. I remember I was on these, sitting on these bleachers on the end of this baseball diamond in like a city park, Dallas, Texas. And that was my. It take me a couple years past then to figure it out, but that was the first time I ever saw money hit, you know, bottom of a guitar case, and the light kind of went on, you know. And my mama had gotten me this, pawn shop guitar when I turned seventeen. She said, "Hey, all that trouble you're getting to, all that." All that stuff that you're dealing with in your life is you know channeling it through this guitar so that's what i've been doing ever since you know and i you know i plan to a lot bigger audience than i was even just a couple years ago even just a year ago but it doesn't people say oh man it must be a you've come a long way from you know south texas you've come a long way from new orleans in many ways that's true but mostly I do, it, it isn't it's all been the same thing you know when i was working street corners Around America, and I did work every corner in every major city, one way or another. Hoboing around, riding trains, hitchhiking—you know—I've walked across this country, hitchhiked across it, toured it, and caught two-door cars, two-door sedans, vans, RVs, one bus, now two buses, and a semi. But nothing's really changed for me, Michael. I fl- I hang out in the same parts of town. Sometimes, literally, the same parking lots I used to hobo in. The only difference is I I ride on top of a big diesel motor that sings me lullabies and puts me to sleep at night
0: so do you find you're still in sort of the same headspace like in terms of like standing on a corner versus standing on a stage like are you tapping into like the same place you would have
1: there's no doubt about it there's no difference the only difference is that i'm electrified and it's a little there's a little more i got i'm responsible for more people and it damn sure is more political that's it other than, other than that it's the same thing
0: now when you say it's more political like are you meaning like the music business political or like societal political or a little of both
1: i'd say i say both I just mean you know there's a you know anytime you're anytime you mix money with art that's some parlor floor situations that we're gonna be going through you know anytime you mix you know love and money there's trouble right right so you know I, that's all I mean is just the politics of you know be, having to having to deal with a competitive business and egos and managers and agents and labels, and you know, selling tickets. I'm not mad about that. I, I love it. But, uh, you know, when you're hand in mouth at 25 years old, and you don't have to think about anybody, but you and the boys working them street corners for tips. Uh, Oh man, this a coming by. It's about to be loud as hell.
0: It's, uh, uh it's kind of, can... kind of perfect though. Cause uh, you know, you rode the rails.
1: <laughs> yeah, I told you, I'm never too far from any point in my life, ever. It's coming after me right now. I'm going to make this turn here around Yeah, that's the Northwood Southern. Listen to that vehicle, man. How pretty is that?
0: You know, it's funny. There's a, a train track that runs through the middle of Winnipeg, and there's a ballpark right beside it. And very often at a ball game, you'll hear the ka-chum, ka-chum, ka And I find it to be one of the most satisfying sounds I know.
1: And mechy it really is That's that's the that's the rhythm of humanity in a way you know it's, all, it's that's our progress, maybe in some ways it's something holding us back. I don't know, but you know it's interesting because the rail line, the railway the technology the the method by which it travels largely unchanged since its invention you know there's not a lot of things you can point to like that in modern society, you know, but they're still running down them same damn rails.
0: You, it leads me to a question, because I, I was thinking about, you know, I was reading about, you know, your experience in terms of songwriting and, and you know, thinking you'd invented some chords and then realizing those chords were 100 years old. <laughs> yeah. And thinking about some a technology like the train that is essentially un, unchanged, are are you tapping it? Like, is it a through line in terms of songwriting in the same way that those those train tracks are arterial blood flowing through America?
1: <laughs> I don't know, but it sounds good when you say it. <laughs>
0: well, we'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, yeah. the album's called The Man From Waco you're not The Man From Waco the, the album's about your your pal James Slim Hand I'm wondering if you could talk about him and, and his impact on, on you and your songwriting
1: yeah uh, so well, check this out Willie Nelson wasn't the red-headed stranger in the story and not on that album the red stranger he's fictional he's from the fictional town of Blue Rock, Montana right? yep so that's the man from Waco. The man from Waco's fictional. He is he's a character that I'm using to narrate kind of grand story about, you know, love, loyalty, loss, betrayal. And that idea evolved from us jokingly calling James Han the man from Waco because he was born in Waco and lived, grew up in an unincorporated town right outside of the West Texas, West Tama, Texas off 35 there in north central Texas, uh, unincorporated town of Tokyo, Texas. Tokyo with the I. That's about two exits down the highway from Abbott, Texas, where Willie Nelson was born. James Hand's about twenty was about twenty years younger than Willie. He passed during the early in the pandemic. He was a friend of mine. He started off as a as a mysterious ghost whose show posters I would see lined on the walls of backroom clubs around Dallas and Fort Worth and Central Texas. First time I saw his name was many years before I ever came in contact with the man. Probably about seven or eight years, and I remember years have gone by, and you see his, you see his, his likeness on a poster, and he was tall and skinny, crouched over, almost leaned over, punched forward, almost like he looked just like James Hand, or I'm sorry, like a Hank Williams Senior. And uh, underneath it, there was a quote, and it said, "James Hand is the real deal, Willie Nelson." thought, uh, man, who in the world is this cowboy? Years would pass, and I remember I was walking in the back of this old honky-tonk. It's still there in North Austin off Burnett Road called Jenny's Little Longhorn Saloon. And I'll come into that little shotgun bar through the back door usually. And it was busy that afternoon, that evening. Coming through the back door, and there's all these cowboy hats in there, and it's real crowded. And you can't see who's on stage. The second I come in there, you can tell the band was cooking. God dang this boy is good who is this i'm pushing to the bar to get myself a beer and uh listening to the singer i'm like man he's so good he's making me uncomfortable you know he's so good i'm jealous <laughs> and uh well about a half hour went by before i realized it was james hand it was the first time i ever had come in contact with him in my life and he uh he galvanized me as a performer and i didn't really ever have a an identity necessarily because as a transient, kind of itinerant type of performer, you know, I'd never thought about any idea of how how to label anything I was doing. But James Hand was the most electric, convincing kind of old school performer that I'd ever been in the presence of. And I started following him around, chasing him around. He electrified me every time I saw him. And uh, we slowly but surely became friends. And I know I'm making a short story long, but I came to identify with country music because of James Hand and and funny enough, they was already starting to call me that anyway. So, you know, so, um, you know I, I made a whole record of songs yeah. in tribute to him, and I had intended to do that during his lifetime. And then he passed away abruptly, and he was, he was haunting me in my dreams at night, Michael, you know, and I had to record his songs because uh, I wasn't getting enough sleep, and I needed him to get out of my bedroom at night. So I recorded his songs and put them out, you know, and then on the 10 for Slim album is what it was called. And yeah, eventually that kind of evolved into the man from Waco as a kind of fictional concept, but we would drive over the Brazos River, which runs through the middle of Waco, Texas, basically in the dead center of the state. And every time we'd pass over it, which is quite frequently, we would uh, would look out the window at the river and go, there goes the man from Waco right there just a joke at first. Then it got serious.
0: A, jo- a joke that becomes serious. So the 10 for Slim was essentially a tribute to the man, and, and the man from Waco was kind of a tribute to the myth in some sense. I guess so. I guess you could put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. You have kind of a, a Redux version coming out? Is that right? Yeah, it just came out, yeah. So are you the type of person to like revisit your own work? Was that something that you'd done before, or was this kind of like a new experience for you?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'd had you know, uh, Tr- Trinity River is a song that's got uh, recorded for the man from Waco. That's not the original recording of that song. The original shows up on, I've made a lot of recordings in my life, most of which I hope never come to the surface. <laughs> but the first thing that I put out and distributed myself was a record called A Stolen Jewel. And Trinity River first appears on that album. And I had written... That song inspired by another really important person to me in my life that I met in similar circumstances a little bit earlier than James Hand was uh, Justin Towns
0: Right.
1: And I, I wrote uh, Trinity River after hearing Harlem River Blues. And so, anyway, revisiting songs of mine is something that I'm always interested in doing because I've recorded so much more frequently than most of my contemporaries. And most of that work was done. Hell, I'm still not really well known at all, but I'm better known than I was. And there's a lot of my recordings that I feel like never really got a, never really got a fair shake. So, and I'm writing all the time. You know, it's funny because all of I put out so much material that when we started putting this redux out, I got all these people being like, "Oh, Charlie Wells drying up. He must not have any ideas." And uh, which is funny because I got two records in the can, but um, you know we wanted to re- we wanted to revisit them for a couple of reasons. One of them was a business decision because that man from Waco record for whatever dang reason has done really well. Um, so we wanted to keep it going a little bit, and uh, also I what I'd wanted to do, man, we, and I, I still could, but I didn't have enough time, is I wanted to put out wanted to put out a part 2 to the man from Waco that was like all ballads of the true west like Johnny Cash or gunfighter ballads style like Marty Robbins and so i've got several of those several of them we didn't even release but i re-recorded pretty much everything on the album in a in a in a more stripped down version like more more like it would sound like if you were trying to do gun, the gunfighter ballads you know album so that's kind of what was. That's kind of what we were thinking there. Actually, I'd written this song for a movie that T Bone Burnett asked me to do, that I'd titled uh, "The Death of Bill Bailey," which was named after this uh, this old New Orleans kind of traditional jazz song that I'd learned on the street there many years prior. And it was just called Bill Bailey, and it's this song from this perspective, this woman saying, "Hey, Bill Bailey, won't you come home?" You know, and uh, he's just this playboy. You know? settle down, and T-Bone uh, had asked me if I could... He showed me this old pop song from like 1902, and he was like, you think you could take something inspired by this and write something off of it? And he didn't know at the time that I had learned Bill Bailey on the street when I was in my early 20s, right there on Royal Street. Mm. And so I ended up... I was very excited to do it, actually. and I decided to write a uh, murder ballad about the death of Bill Bailey, and my idea was actually to have the Man from Waco Part Two: The Death of Bill Bailey, and then it would be all. It would be the story of. Uh, I was kind of imagining that there'd be a part two that would be the whole story of how the Man from Waco actually meets his death. Uh, but that hasn't quite fully been realized. But I got time.
0: You were talking earlier about you know getting your start because you were, you know, stuck at home and, and needing to kind of get out of that space. Do you write on the road in part because you're you're stuck in a space in the van?
1: Constantly. I never had no problems writing. Never. Um, I have a problem finishing songs, but I've compensated for that by just starting one million. You start a million of them, you're going to finish a few every now and again.
0: Sure enough. Well, speaking of songs, before I let you go, I'm going to get you to pick a song from your repertoire that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that one or an anecdote about it, we'd love to hear that.
1: Just something from my repertoire, you said, huh?
0: Yeah, I mean, it can be from the Man from Waco, it can be from the Redux, it can be from any of the old records. Whatever, whatever you want to choose. Yeah, you
1: know, I really like the uh, I really like the Man from Waco Redux version, honestly, and I haven't even heard it enough myself. But I really like the way that it doesn't have the horns on it, which those kind of Mexican style frontera horns really or the signature for that song. But, so it, I think it's hard for a lot of my fans that know me well to hear it without it. But I really enjoy that version, that version of the song. Same thing with Tom Turkey. You know, I finished up this old Dylan song from a movie. I took a couple of verses from him and finished it up. And they ended up giving me a throw ride on it. And we, re, we recut that one too. Or actually, we just used an alternate version from the studio. I really enjoyed both of those new takes on those songs but uh the title track man I like the redux version of the man from Waco because you know I've always said I'm a folk singer you know that's how you know before they were calling me country or texas and louisiana or country soul or a stylistic chameleon as I've been known I really just probably never really identified with anything beyond thinking of myself as a folk singer so I think that's what I like about some of those stripped-down versions of the song, Like the Man from Waco, is you can really hear that it's a folk song by that interpretation.
0: Well, it makes a perfect fit for the Winnipeg Folk Festival. Charlie, thanks for taking some time. Safe travels on the road and really looking forward to seeing you here.
1: Hey, man, the pleasure belongs to me, Michael, and uh, I'm going to put that luck in my pocket. We'll see you up there. I ain't never been to Canada before. Can you put a good word in with the, uh, your border folks?
0: The Canadian with, uh, border folks?
1: Yeah, put a good put a good word in for me. I'm really gonna need it.
0: We'll give it to them. All right, man. You take All right.
1: care. All right. <laughs> you too.
2: The mirage of Del Rio. It was burning. his eyes and sleep had escaped him too consumed by his pride like the lonesome and high country he was lost in a haze and the thoughts of what he'd do if he unloaded all his rage from Waco the city was almost silent as he passed the humming signs on the corner he heard laughter made him afraid of what he'd find he pushed through the door hypnotized by a sound Just then tears overcame him and his heart began to drown the man from Waco. He shot her while the lovers were embraced with the bullet he intended for the man who took his place he cried through the night as he made his escape but the rain that was falling could not wash Weigh his shame The man from Waco On the banks Of the Brazos Where the desert Willow grows The clear Shallow water Just won't say All it knows A moment Of burning anger Can curse the living the days. You can let that river take you, but you will never get away. The man from Waco I'm going up on Garapata Ridge. I'm going up into the canyon. I'm taking with me reckless abandon. Lost all I had and I can't stand it. Horse thief Mesa. Always seeking vengeance. Had it in a class of desperate men. I once lived in a peaceful valley. Now I'm hiding my face in an alley. I'm up here looking for a grand finale on coast steve mason
0: i'm michael else and you've been listening to a special podcast spotlighting charlie crockett who will be performing on saturday july 8th at 9 p.m on the main stage at the winnipeg folk festival to hear more featured artists visit umfm.com and be sure to visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca to get tickets to this great event running july 6th through 9th at Birds hill park